Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Chronicles chapter number three, and I'll read starting at verse number 15. Second Chronicles three, that's in the Old Testament. And we'll begin reading verse number 15. If you have problems, find it in your Bible. It will magically appear on the screen behind me. Amen. It might be of some aid to someone this morning. Second Chronicles three and verse number 15, starting the Bible says, also, he made before the house two pillars of 30 and five cubits high. The chapter that was on the top of each of them was five cubits. And he made chains as in the oracle and put them on the heads of the pillars and made an hundred pomegranates and put them on the chains. Verse 17, and he reared up the pillars before the temple. I want you to understand that these two pillars were before the temple, before the entrance. One on one on the right hand and the other on the left, and called the name of that on the right hand Jachin, and the name of that on the left Boaz. So we're talking about the temple. We're talking about the house of God. In modern day terms, we say we're talking about the church. And before the entrance to the church. Solomon had these two grand towering pillars, one called Jekin and the other one Boaz. This morning, with the help of the Lord, I want to preach to you this, a Jekin Boaz type of church, a Jekin Boaz type of church. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. His spirit has been so good to us thus far today. Father, I come to you this morning. God, I'm asking, Lord, once again for the anointing of your spirit in this place. I pray, oh God, that you have met us here today. Lord, in our song service, you have met us here today. God, as we have prayed over those in need of prayer, I pray, oh Lord, today meet us now. God, through your word and speak, Lord, to our hearts, speak to our minds. Help us, God, to be eager, Lord, to allow your word to pour into our spirits. Help us, God, to be that Jachin and Boaz type of church. Lord, for our community for our loved ones, for our friends, for our neighbors, for those that we rub shoulders with and have countenances, Lord Jesus, with, Lord, acquaintances with. I pray, oh, Lord, today, minister in this place and help us to hear what the Spirit is trying to say today. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, uh, she's probably slipped out just for a moment with the kids, but glued to have my niece, amen, here today as well, Andrea and her, amen, children this morning uh, today. A Jachin Jachin and Boaz type of church. Throughout the years, throughout the years of ministry, I've had mixed feelings sometimes about when the only time people would consider the church was when their life was in shambles or in troubles that had arrived on their doorstep. Many times, from my estimation, through years, it would seem those troubles were of their own undoing. Some of it was the result of their own choosing. 
handed down to me, though, you must understand from several generations before my generation was the concept that there are people that just use the church as a crutch. Just hear me out today before I'm all said and done. They, they know where the church is at when they need the church and they seem to avail themselves of the church only in those moments as long as everything is fine in life and everything is well with their soul and there are no emergencies that are arising then the church and even God at times can be put on a back burner at a distance close enough still that if they would need it, it's there to be found, there for them to be able to reach it. And truly, though, whenever it comes to these types of things, there is, there's nothing new under the sun in reality from uh, old generation to the present generation. The Bible says that the children of Israel in the Old Testament sighed and that they cried unto God by reason of their bondage in Egypt. And God heard their groaning and their complaining and remembered them and sent a man to them that he had been preparing for about 80 years to be their deliverer. And yet whenever they cried to God and sighed to God and grumbled to God that may he they had placed at arm's distance when they cried and sighed because of their dilemma. The Bible doesn't say that God had to qualify their cry. He, he didn't and drill them with questions about if they had been contributors to any of this part of bondage that they were now in. He didn't ask them, uh, why have you waited until now to cry out unto me? Why have you waited until now to voice unto me? He, he didn't say, oh, I see. I understand. I, I'm only relevant for whenever things are going bad in your life. God didn't say that. He, he didn't say, well, what about all the times things were going okay? Why didn't you talk to me then? But God didn't do that. This is the same nature of Israel that constantly was turning their back upon God to serve other gods until they found themselves during the era of the judges. There were times they would be constantly oppressed by foreign enemies and when it would become more than they could bear and they would be putting out and going out to get their harvest that the Bible says these foreign oppressors would come in and begin to uh, reap if you will uh, from them and take from them the reaping of every season of harvest and it's in those moments when the oppression was just so much that these same people that had turned their back on God would then cry out to God for help and they would be finding themselves cowering down, the Bible says, in dens and caves and recesses in the mountains and they were changing their normal living habits because of the domination of their enemy and it's in those moments that God became important to them again because of their dilemma. But whenever I read this, I see that that God in those moments, although now they are looking to him and longing for him, that God doesn't turn a deaf ear from them. He doesn't ignore their plea. He, he doesn't look in the other direction. He, he, he raises up a judge in those times and after repetitive time to come alongside them and deliver them and help aid them and to relieve some of the pressure from them. And he knows 
The moment that I get the pressure relief from their life, they're going to ignore me again and they're going to turn around and they're going to forsake me and they're going to forget my goodness. But you know what? If they come back again and need some help, I'm going to extend my hand. If they come back and they need a little bit of persuasion or lifting up or caring, I'm going to carry them again. It was even David in the Psalms that the Scripture said that David cried unto the Lord. In the first chapter of a group of chapters that's known as the Song of Degrees, it were those psalms that they would sing as they were making their pilgrims to the house of God, as they were making their trips to the church. And as David was making his trip to the church, he said in Psalms 120 in verse 1, he said, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Why, David, are you even making a trip right now to the house of God? Perhaps it was because David's life was in shambles. David's life was in distress. And as humanity, we oftentimes do. When life is in distress, we remember God. When life is in shambles and things are going in a downward spiral, we remember God and we cry out to God. In another place, the psalmist had said that he cried unto his God in his distress. And what did God do? He didn't say, forget you. I put you on my appointment or my schedule. I'll get to you whenever it's convenient. No, the Bible said that God heard his voice out of his temple. The psalmist other times says in Psalms 119 and verse 67, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept thy word. In other words, when affliction shows up in people's lives and at the doorstep of their homes, amen, hallelujah, prior to all of that affliction showing up, they're traveling their own ways. They're going astray. They are seeking out their own endeavors and choosing their own paths. But when their lives have been subjected to loss and when their riches, if you will, have grown wings, so, so to speak, and have flown away when trouble has become their companion and bad luck seems to be like the only luck that they have they think about God they think about the church they think about the Lord hallelujah someone say amen it's in those moments they're not thinking about another institution they're not looking for help from their social club that they are a part of they're not looking to the alcohol and the drugs that's rendered them no good no they look to the church they look to God they look to the heal from which cometh their help because they know their help comes from the Lord. Someone say amen. It is the story, if you will, of the Jonas that attempt to go as far as they can in opposite direction of where God wants them to go. And they pay a price for getting on a ship that will take them in a direction as far as they can get from God, descending deep into that ship as far as they can just to get away, if you will, and escape from it all. But in doing so, they then find themselves as Jonah did in a turbulent storm. And Jonah downward journey if you will took him the Bible says to the belly of a fish in the depths of the sea and Jonah in that moment of affliction Jonah in that moment of trouble the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 2 Jonah said I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord and he heard me out of the belly of hell in other words Jonah was saying the depths that I went to right now seems like a fine line 
line between living in life and living in hell. This is a great affliction. But I know when I'm in my affliction, I can cry out to God. I know in my affliction, I can look to the house of God. And God will hear my voice. The story of the one sheep of the hundred that goes astray of Luke 15. It's the story of the one coin of the ten that gets lost. It's the story of the one son of the two that asks for his inheritance and goes into a far country to expend his monies on riotous living. But the Bible says he finally finds himself. The Bible says even desiring the husk that the swine would eat. And in that moment remembers that are there not even servants in my father's house that have good, clean bread and probably even some to spare. And yet as that son walks down that familiar road to his father's house with feelings of guilt and feelings of shame and feelings of dejection, the father doesn't just relax on his porch sitting in his seat and go in the house and say, well, another day. But he gets up from where he is. He runs to that boy on the path. He embraces him. He kisses him. He celebrates him. And he reinstates his status in the family. Someone say amen. So what I'm saying today here is this. We can ridicule all day every son that returns to the father's house. We can look down our scrawny nose every day for every son that would return to the father's house. We could if we would have the type of attitude to despise every Jonah that's crying from the belly, if you will, of the depths, amen, of what Jonah called to be his hell. Amen. We can cry out against those that we would say every time they're in trouble, they know where the church is they know where God is they're just using church as a crutch because of their affliction because of the trouble that they got themselves in we could assume the attitude as a church if we wanted to to ignore the plight of people in out of control circumstances because they initially turned their backs on the church or turned their backs on God we can complain if we want to about how the only time they think of the church is when they're in trouble or quite on the contrary contrary today we can feel relieved that when they are at their lowest points and when they are at their most vulnerable points they think of a place they know they can trust and confide in because it's been there for them in the past and it remains unchanged And it's for this very reason that when Solomon was constructing the temple, Solomon was constructing the church, that he made sure that there were two brazen pillars out front before you ever even got into the temple. Before anybody would ever walk into the temple, they would meet these two pillars Standing out front of the church. These pillars in essence were the greeters of the church. These pillars in essence were the introduction to all who would come into the church. They were towering high in the sky. They were ornate pillars. They were well decorated pillars. They had extensive 
chapters and capitals on the top of them that were adorning their tops. The Bible describes them that they were freestanding pillars. Neither of these pillars had any literal support that they were given, amen, to the building, amen, in any way. But they stood there as symbols. They stood there with meaning. They stood there with symbols because they were even named by Solomon, amen, one, Jachin, and the other one, Boaz. The Bible says the right pillar toward the south, he named Jachin, and the left pillar toward the north, he named Boaz. The name of Jachin means he shall establish, he shall withhold me, or very simply, security. The name Boaz meant in its strength. May strength be in him, or simply stability. So as anybody from any nation, from any race, from any creed, from any walk of life, as they approach the temple of Solomon, as they approach the church, they would be met by these two pillars, freestanding, towering, greeting them, didn't need propped up, freestanding. They would come, amen, and approach two pillars of security and stability. Can someone say amen? Someone say amen. Because if someone was going to make their way to the church, Solomon says there's one thing that I want to know before they need to know before they ever enter that building. There's one thing that they need to know before they ever walk, amen, through those gates. That no matter what the trouble is in their life that may have brought them here, no matter the sin that may have been in their life that brought them here, no matter, if you will, the affliction that's overtaken them, amen, that may have nudged them here, they need reassured as they approach the church, as they're seeking out refuge that this is a secure place that this is a stable place for their chaotic life this is a sure place for their uncertain life this is a stable place for the circumstances that might be falling all around them they need to know first and foremost the church is a secure stable place for them What are you saying? I'm saying we need a Jachin and Boaz type of church. I'm not looking down my nose because somebody decides to come back. I'm not looking down my nose because someone figured out, you know what, the church is better than where I've been. I'm not looking down my nose because someone had a change of thought that there's great affliction out there alone and there's great affliction in the church but at least they have God. I want them to know as they approach the doors of this assembly at 1121 Street, that's a secure place. That's a stable place. That's a place I can get strength. That's a place where I can be edified and built up. They need to know that that's a dependable church. They don't need to be worried about being let down by the church. They need to know it's a Jachin and Boaz type of church. That's not a flighty church. That's not a here one day and gone the next day type of church. Like other institutions I've given time and money to. No, it's not like other relationships I've had in my life. That's a secure place. That's a stable place. Something about those people. Anyone 
in their lives that would have any history, any association of knowing the names that are placed upon those two pillars. When they would see the names or hear the names of those pillars, no doubt the stories of those lives themselves would become quickened to their memory. That first pillar that's named in the book of Chronicles, one of those people that would approach the church to know that it was a Jachin type of church. Jachin was a priest of what was known as the 21st course. There were in his family the sons of Aaron. They, sons of Aaron, were divided into divisions, 24 different divisions, and Jachin was of the 21st. These sons of Aaron were divided for being known as governors of the sanctuary, governors of the house of God. And Jachin was of the 21st division of people that were a governor of the house of God, a governor of the sanctuary. And what that simply means is this this morning, that Jachin was a leader and as a leader, he had a distinct, everybody say distinct. He had a distinct prescribed place in the house of God. And that meant his place was secure. As people, can I tell you this morning, that as people approach the first apostolic church, they need to come across the pillar of Jachin on the outside of our doors. Amen. That's letting them know that there's a place for them here. That lets them know there's a place for them here. There's a spot on this pew for them. There's a duty or a job even within this assembly that they can serve in and a capacity that they can help in. They need to know that they can help fulfill a part in the house of God, the sanctuary of God, just like anybody else in that building. They might have the feeling that they've been misplaced out there, and so they need reassured that they can find a secure place in here. We need to be a jakin type church that says we got a secure place for you here for that matter for that matter the purpose of those divisions the purpose of those courses of priests was that in their service to the Lord in their courses they would behold the beauty of the Lord and be able to inquire in his temple or be able to inquire in his church can I tell you we must be a Jakin church where the broken and the bruised can come and still yet in their broken state and bruised states had the ability, amen, to behold the beauty of the Lord from their state of brokenness, from their state of being bruised, amen, this must remain securely the church where people from the outside can bring their questions that don't seem to have any answers and bring their circumstances that don't make sense and say, that's a secure place I can still inquire of God at that church at that place (laughs) Jachin as he was known and even would become to know be known in his pillar semblance outside the church he was more than just a man his name became a blanket umbrella for the entirety of his family. The entirety of his division and course that served under his name as a leader. Somewhere along the journey, they would return back from Babylon, have been taken away from their country, their place for 70 years, away, if you will, from the church. 
away from the church, returning back, they willing accepted a decision by law. It's almost just like any mini miny mo type thing. They accepted a decision to abandon their rural housing that was on the outskirt of the walls, on the outskirt of Jerusalem, at still yet quite a distance from the church. They made a decision to be able to abandon that. And become a citizen on the inside of the walls. And be guardians again of Jerusalem and the church. And so see these courses, these divisions that Jachin was a part of have been taken away from the temple. They've been taken away from the church. They had been drawn away from there by, by foreign alliances. They've been drawn away from there by false gods, by, by improper and bad decisions. But whenever they came to their senses, amen, they returned to Jerusalem. When they came to their senses after 70 years of being estranged, separated from the church, amen, they thought it was best that they would go back to Jerusalem. But you know what they thought in themselves? I've been gone from the church for 70 years. I've been gone from the church for a long time. I just got to dwell in the rural areas of Jerusalem. There's no way that I'm fit enough to be on the inside of the walls. There's no way that I'm fit enough to be in the church. I just got to be on the peripheral. I just got to be in the rural area. I'm not good enough. I got a lot of baggage over the 70 years that I picked up while I was away from the church. There's no way I can have that standing that I used to have in the place of God. And surely they thought they didn't deserve a better place or a closer place in those walls. But the Bible says those lots were cast. And again, it was almost just like any meaning, miny mo. And whenever the lot fell upon them, the rule was this. One out of every ten was going to be able to go back into the city walls even back into that place of Jerusalem and when the lot fell to them they had a choice they could either accept it or they could reject it. Something came inside of that old family of Jachin that were priests that knew they could behold the beauty of the Lord at one time, that knew they could inquire in the presence of the Lord at one time. And the Bible says the family of Jachin said, you know what? I've been living away from the church for a long time and I thought I could never get back to the church because there's too much disappointment in my life. There's too much bleeding in my life. There's too much brokenness in my life but they said you know what I don't have to settle on being on the outskirts of Jerusalem I don't have to settle on being on the rural areas of the church I got a secure spot that's the house of God for me I'm going to behold his beauty again I'm going to inquire of God again can I tell somebody today, I don't know how long it's been since you've been to the church. I don't know how long it's been since you had experience with God. But there's still a secure place here for you. Don't stay on the outskirts. Don't stay in the rural areas. This church is for you. need to be a Jachin type church brother Cherry to tell those that have been gone for a long time have gotten just warmed up enough to be on the outskirts that there's a place more intimately reserved for them in the church and it needs to be the type of church that says restoration is possible here Wherever your road may have led, whatever choices may have been made, restoration is possible. 
for you here. It needs to be the church that says, like in Micah 7 and 8, that needs to say, rejoice not against them, O my enemy. For when they fall, they shall arise. And when they sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light in them. We need to be the church that's standing outside with our pillars at the doors. Say, don't be rejoicing against them. This place is good for them. I know what you've seen. I know the paths they've been down. I know the things they've done. I know the bad decisions they made. Hallelujah. But don't rejoice against them. The restoration can happen here. It's for them. We're not locking the doors. We're not damming up all the entrances. No, we're opening them up wide. We're saying, come on. There's a secure place. There's a stable place. There's a place here for you to inquire of the Lord. Jachin type church. But he didn't just leave it with one pillar standing out there before the temple doors. He didn't leave it just with one. He put another beside it that held equal of importance of Jachin. That second pillar that people would approach before they ever got into the house of God. A second pillar named Boaz wanted the people to know that this was a Boaz-type church. Most of the story of Boaz or his name is known and heard of in the book of Ruth in your Bibles. Boaz was a near kinsman to a woman by the name of Naomi. He was a near kinsman of her family, her husband, Elimelech, who was now deceased. Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, had returned back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to the land of Bethlehem of Judea. Whenever Naomi had left Bethlehem of Judea, the Bible says that her life was full. But when she returned back home 10 years later, it says that she came back home empty. See, the book of Ruth follows the book of Judges, where the Bible says every man did that which is right in his own eyes. And there was no king in Israel. Everybody kind of chose their own paths and their own direction. And that gave birth to the book of Ruth of a man and his family, leaving what they knew to be godly, leaving what they knew to be true, and sojourning in a land, a man of their own choice and their own decision. But they suffered a lot of loss there. And now that they Naomi is coming back. She's coming back empty. Although when she left there, she was full. The Bible says her daughter-in-law, Ruth, amen, goes along with her back home. Amen. And it was admonished to Ruth that, Ruth, you need to find some field to glean some grain from because we don't. I don't have a husband anymore. My son, your husband, has died. We have no males in the family to provide for us. So you're going to have to go out into a field and you're going to have to glean because we have no male support in our family to be able to do it for us. And the Bible says, and you can read this in the book of Ruth, the Bible says that Ruth goes out to glean in a field and it belongs to one by the name of Boaz. Amen. She gets there before Boaz is there. She's gleaning the field as the law would allow. The reapers would go forth and they would pluck up sheaves and they would pluck up grain and anything that they missed that was behind them. That's what Ruth got. She got the 
leftovers. She got what was left. As she's out there working in the field, the owner of the field shows up, a man by the name of Boaz. And he begins to ask about that lady out there by the name of Ruth. And this was Boaz's plea for that lady Ruth. He said, Ruth, do not go into any other field and glean. You stay right here in my field and glean. The Bible says it in Ruth 2 and verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. He's never met her before. He's never had an encounter with her before. But she is in his field. And look how welcoming he is of one that he does not know. Amen. In his field. A foreigner in his field. But he says, don't you go anywhere else. Don't you go any other place. You stay right here in my field. And we need to be a Boaz type church that as they come in to glean we might not know them we might not know their past we might not know their heritage but we need to be the voice that's telling them don't you go anywhere else don't you go to any other field glean as much as you can as long as you want in this field You know what he comes to understand as the story is reported to him? You know what he comes to understand? He understands that Ruth has left all to come to Bethlehem, Judah. Woo! And to glean in his field. Someone say amen. And so he's insisting, don't go anywhere else. Don't visit any other field because you're safe in my field. In that day, see, it was common for people to get in some fields and they would get in some of the dark regions or areas that was isolated places. Some of the ladies sometimes would be taken advantage of by the men. Boaz says, I want you to know you may find that in other fields. But you're not going to find that in my field. You, you. The church still needs to be a safe place in the year 2019 and 2020 for the saved and unsaved, for the young, for the old, for the middle age. It, oh, my God. Mm, no one needs to be taken advantage of in the church because it's a Boaz-type church. He says, you're safe in my field. And that needs to be our response today. It needs to provide security and stability to those that have left all and have showed up at the threshold. Of the door of the church. Ruth. She is overwhelmed. By the response of Boaz. As a matter of fact. She questions him. Sir. Look. We have no former introduction. We have no former history. And I'd like to know sir. How in the world. Did I find favor. In your eyes. When we do not have any. History. How did I find favor in your eyes when you don't even know me? And Boaz responded to her. He says, I've heard it reported. I've heard it reported that you left everything behind to get here. I heard it reported you left your mother. I heard it reported you left your father. 
I heard it reported that you left the land of your birth. I heard it reported that you left all the gods you used to serve to come over and serve the God of Naomi. And whenever I heard that, I said this is going to be a stable place for this girl. She's in a place right now where famine is overtaken there and they're longing here. But now we got some food. We're in a time of harvest. I want her to know this can be a stable place. Oh, my God. You know what Boaz ends up saying? He says, listen to me, dear, that I've just met just here recently and heard reports of. Listen here, hon. I want you to glean behind these reapers. Pick up those sheaves. And you know what he tells the reapers, Brother James, Brother Malone? He says, reapers, I want you to even allow her to get up next to you and glean of the sheaves. What he was saying is this, she don't just, she, she's not just going to be given the opportunity to glean what's left behind. But I want her to be able to move up in the place of just even being a reaper and glean what was there for anybody. Somebody hear me today, this needs to be a Boaz type church. A Boaz type church. Oh, we don't know you, nothing about you, you can only have the leftovers. Uh-uh, we want you to get right up there where the reapers are. If it's there to be plucked, we want your hand on doing the plucking. This is, oh my God. This is a Boaz type church. He says, I want you up there even with the reapers. And this is what he told the reapers. Listen here, boys. As she's standing even back there, he says, I want you just to cast down on the ground every once in a while. Hands full of purpose. Intentionally. And what that meant? They're picking up that grain, Kevin. They're putting it in their bags. He says, I want you to intentionally take hands of that and throw it on the ground. Just so she can have it. You know what a Boaz type church says? I might have been part of the church for 25 years, but I'm not stingy with what God has given. I'll cast some behind my back for somebody that just showed up today. There's somebody in some trouble outside of these walls. There's some people that's destitute outside these walls, and they need a Boaz type church that will willingly throw some hands of grain out to them in their dismal and broken lives. They need a Jaquin Boaz type church. (laughs) Boaz type church. But even goes just a little further. Everybody doing okay? Goes just a little further. Because as Boaz would build that relationship with Ruth. And even more importantly, as she would build her relationship with Boaz, lay down at his feet during the nighttime as he slept upon the place of harvest, awakening, seeing her, understanding there was that interest then of relationship, marriage maybe even perhaps. The foreigner. The Bible tells us that Boaz does what's necessary, what's required to not just redeem the land of Naomi and Ruth and Orpha, those two boys that belong to Naomi, they're, 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 they're husbands. Not just redeem the land of her dead husband, but he also went and married Ruth. For this purpose, the Bible says, he marries Ruth, he's, 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 he's claimed the land, he's redeemed it with money, even the money of her Ruth's deceased husband, But he also marries Ruth with this purpose in order to bring that dead man's name back to life. 
Ruth's husband, according to Scripture, was Malone, M-A-H-L-O-N. And one of the meanings of Malone's name was this. Pardon. <laughs> Pardon died ten years in Moab. Pardons laid in the grave somewhere in 10 years in Moab. <laughs> but thank God for pillars like Boaz that stand in front of the church and reminds those that visit there about stability that can be found that says, I'm going to marry Ruth so I can revive the dead name. I'm going to marry Ruth so I can bring back pardon in the life of Ruth and pardon in the life of her family. Thank God for the Boaz pillars in front of the church that people come back with sin. Oh, people come back weighed down with the wickedness that their lives may have led. Pardon had died out there. But thank God for the Boaz pillars that says where bar pardon is dead out there, it can be revived in here. Slates can be made clean. Sins can can be forgiven. Old things can be passed away. Behold, all things become new because we're a Boaz type church. I've been hurrying ever since it started. When you're old like this, man, it's hard. God love it. You help me off this platform this morning when I'm done, okay? See, the strength and the stability of the church that is found in Boaz is even this. Is that the Boaz-type pillars of the church sets those who come to the church ultimately in line, in a line that leads to Christ Jesus. Boaz was in a line of David's family. That led to the line of Jesus Christ of New Testament Scripture. The offspring of the marriage of Boaz and that foreign woman Ruth gave birth to Obed. Who the Bible says gave birth to Jesse. Who gave birth to David. And if you'll read the genealogy of Matthew chapter number 1 and continue from David forward. It will bring you all the way to the man Christ Jesus. And what that means is this. Boaz has the ability of bringing those that he joins himself to in a line that leads to Christ Jesus. We need to be a Boaz type church for those who genealogies and pedigrees have been mixed and muddled by the world and off kelter and separated from God. Let them know when we join together we'll put you on a line that gets you back in the line of Christ. We'll put you in a pedigree and in a Spring that leads all the way to Christ Himself. Yes, it's secure, and the church is stable. <laughs> it don't work. Stand with me, and I'll, I'll, I'll come to a close. When Israel was carried away to Babylon 
Jerusalem was destroyed. The church was dismembered and taken advantage of. The Bible said the, the foreigners of the Chaldees broke these two pillars in pieces. They carried the brass that overlaid them away. There was then at that moment, Sister Sheila, no symbolical representation of the Jekins and the Boazes, the Boazes of which they were named for. If I tell you this morning like this, what the adversary and the enemy was really wanting to do, it didn't want anybody that approached that place to have any hope of stability. They didn't want anybody that approached that area or arena to have any, any sense of security or any sense of hope in the church. But I hate to inform the adversary today. I hate to inform the enemy today that before there was ever a tabernacle in the wilderness and before there was ever a temple of Solomon with pillars like I've been speaking to you of today, the Bible says that an old patriarch by the name of Jacob took a stone that he had been using for a pillow and he stood it up on end and he anointed it with oil and he called that pillar Bethel, the house of God. The Bible says even in a letter that Paul had wrote to Timothy as Timothy was serving in the area of Ephesus in the church of Ephesus, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Now this would hold significance to Timothy. This would hold significance to everybody in Ephesus because at Ephesus there was a pagan temple. At Ephesus, there was a pagan temple of Diana within Ephesus that was known as one of the seven wonders of the then unknown world. And one of the features of that temple were pillars. History says it had 127 pillars that encircled it, every one of them being the gift of a king. They were all made of marble. They were ornate. They had jewels studded all over them and overlaid with gold. But Paul was saying what he's saying to Timothy because in contrast to that place, that pagan temple, Paul was wanting to turn Timothy's attention to the church, which is a pillar of strength, stability, and security. And perhaps even remembering, Brother Terry, those two pillars that had stood out side of Solomon's temple, that if I could say it like this, were also gifts of a king. But the gifts of a king of kings. Ornate, yes they were. Overlaid with brass, yes they were. But most importantly, what they screamed was this. Security and stability in the house of God. To every soul that thought of the church. To every soul that in their affliction, their mind turned back to the church. As they would approach it, they would see the signs and the emblems of strength and stability of the house of God in their hour of need. And so I tell you today, as they come, as they remember us in their bad places, that's not something to be shameful about. As they remember us whenever they are overtaken by life and pressure has gotten so bad that they look up, the church shouldn't be put out by that. It should feel privileged that it's a Jekin Boaz type church in an uncertain world and in an unstable world that they can still, those people can still fall down here. They can be restored here. They can glean out of our 
field and no other. They can live here if they desire. Not in the rural places. Not on the outskirts. But right in the house of God. And we want them to know your dead pardon can be revived right here. And we can help set you in a line that leads all the way to Jesus Christ. Because we've decided we're going to be a Jatin. are you troubled today has life served you no good and you've got more questions than you got answers if you can bow your heads today are you entertaining more questions than you got answers are you looking up because affliction and pressure and turmoil has got you in a vice you've been considering the church you've been considering God but you, you, you're afraid of those in the church that they got, they got preconceived ideas yeah they only think of us when they're in need Listen today, I'm telling you right here at the First Apostolic Church, I'm not standing here and saying, yeah, they're just coming because things are bad right now in their life. What I'm thinking is this. Thank God they remember a secure, stable place that's went unchanged that they can flee to and go to in their hour when they, they, whenever they're in need, they think of the church. Thank God when they're in need, they think of some of the people that's in the church that's given them an ear and it's been a hand of support. Thank God. We're not looking down eyes and noses of shame and guilt and depression concerning you. No, we're saying, let us help you revive your pardon. Help us. Let us help you try to find your line to Christ again. Let us help you to inquire of the Lord and behold the beauty of His glory again. These altars are open today for people that may be here. That before you ever step through our double doors in the back, I hope you've seen our pillars of Jachin and Boaz that says this is a stable place this is a dependable place this is a safe place this is a place for you this is a place of love and compassion instruction and guidance this is a place where you can go we call our model this a place where heaven and earth can, can connect this is a place where you can find your place to heaven this is a place where you can make your way to the Lord we want to be a safe place, a stable place, a secure place for you. We want to be that Jachin Boaz type church for you. These altars are open. Is there anybody today? Is there anybody today? I need you, Lord. I've had some dark paths and I've had some bleak alleys and I've been Joan in the belly of the fish and I've cried out in my I've cried out in my affliction from the belly of hell that I thought I was in. And when I cried, the Lord heard me. Whenever I called upon that church, whenever I went there, they loved me. Whenever I went to those people, they accepted me and they threw their arms around me. And they said, what can we do to nurse you to health? What can we do to help? What can we do to encourage you? What can we do to fan the flame, amen, of righteousness and godliness in you? What can we do? Will somebody help uphold a weak hand today? Will somebody help uphold somebody that is in total disarray by life circumstances and say you can get back on track? You can get back on track, amen, through the church this morning. Glean in this field, not another. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go anywhere else. You're welcome here. Don't go anywhere else. We want you here. We want to love you here. We want to help you through whatever you're going through. This is a Jachin, a Jachin, a Boaz type church. These altars are open today as they are praying over here. If you don't want to come forward, you can pray right where you're at in your pew today. You can pray right where you're standing with your head bowed in your pew this morning. God, I've been met with affliction. Distress has overwhelmed me. And I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about the church. We got two pillars before you ever come in. It's a dependable place. It's a secure place. We want you to know that. Never forget it. Never, 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 never deny 
coming to this church. Never, never second guess coming to this church. It's a place of safety and security and strength for you. Hallelujah, Brother Mason. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.